Hello, FCS Nation. It's time for your show. I'm your host, Kevin Marshall. I'm coming to you from the flagship station of FCS Nation, Fox Sports, 1450 and 92.7 KGRZ in snowy Missoula, Montana. Join me like he does each week as the co-host of this program, Mr. Stone Labanowitz, and Stone is coming to you from the sunshine state of Florida. Well, Stone, we're here. The field is set. First weekend of the FCS playoffs, 24 teams, and our national champion is going to be the last one that wins a football game down in Frisco, Texas, and to all other subdivisions in college football, I say y'all top that. Yeah, it's going to be tough, too. I'm excited, Kevin. Just excited that it's finally arrived. The field is set. The seeds are set. Like you said earlier, we'll get into that because, boy, do we have some questions, and, boy, do we have some takes. But, Kevin, I like a lot of these matchups, and I think we're going to laugh to the bank with some of these matchups, but overall just super, super excited and getting ready to chat about it. Well, let's go to the seeds first, Stone. The number one seed is South Dakota State. Number two is Sacramento State. Number three, North Dakota State. Number four, Montana State. Number five, William & Mary. Number six, Samford. Number seven's Incarnate Word. And number eight is Holy Cross. And I know what you're thinking, FCS Nation. Kevin is about to go off on Holy Cross. And I might, but I got some other bones to pick before we get there. First all, one and two, South Dakota State and Sacramento State. Okay, you can flip-flop those, I think. I think SAC had the better resume. But what really chaps me is the number three seed, North Dakota State Bison. Now, I know why they're there. Nine of the last 11 national championships. But did they earn a three seed on the field this year? I don't think so. I think both Montana State, Samford, both had better resumes than the Bison did. Throw in William & Mary as well. I think this is a case of the name on the front of the jersey influencing those that made the decision. Don't think they had this resume to be the number three seed this year. And I think they should be somewhere around five. Stone, tell me if I'm wrong. Kevin, you're not wrong. And when you started that, you said, I think. You don't have to think. We know this, that they don't have the same resume and they haven't struggled with the same types of teams that a Montana State has, that a Sanford has. When you look at Sanford, right, we're looking at Michael Hires, a Walter Payton Award finalist at the quarterback position. When you look at Montana State, well, we don't really even have to talk about it. We know how dominant those guys are, and they would have handled Indiana State. They would have handled Illinois State a lot better than the Bison did. So, yeah, it's definitely the name on the jersey. A little aggravating to see. And they were given plus 800 outright odds as far as the future goes. So it's a little back and forth here by the committee. Make it make sense, please. It doesn't. And Sanford is undefeated, 10-1 and against the FCS, played a tougher schedule, had more ranked wins, and their only loss is to the number one FBS Georgia Bulldogs. All right, getting to seven and to eight, okay? Incarnate Word, we've been higher on them all season than just about anybody else has. Yep. It took a lot of people to come along to hold to Incarnate Word, didn't it, Stone? 100%, Kev. I've been screaming it from the mountaintops for weeks, not weeks, months. And Holy Cross, the eighth seed. Now, kind of the same argument for both of them, Stone. Conference wasn't really all that competitive. And Holy Cross's conference, the 11th best FCS conference, they had the 72 strength of schedule. Incarnate Word, at least they did against that type of a schedule what you're supposed to do, which is go out and win by 40 points. Now, Holy Cross didn't always do that. Incarnate Word, the one loss to Southeastern Louisiana. I don't see how you can seed Incarnate Word and not Southeastern Louisiana, but it happened. And I look at it this way, my friend. When you have 
Holy Cross, and Fordham, both in the field. We're going to tell you the rest of the field in just a second. How much credence is given to the 11th best conference? How is Weber State not a seed with the teams they beat? Their FBS win was actually over a pretty decent FBS team. I just don't get it. I think this whole system needs to be at least tweaked, if not scrapped. I think you and me and Sam Herter and Brian McLaughlin and several other people who cover FCS football could sit in a room and come up with a much better, much better field than this. But Kevin, but Kevin, Holy Cross has an FBS win over Buffalo. We don't give a damn. And it's funny you bring that up as far as some of the most important or the biggest voices, right? You, Sam Herter, Brian McLaughlin, like we could sit in a room and come up with a better product than what's been put out. We could see these teams a lot better than what was put out. That's what's aggravating to me. And when you go on social media and you see these narratives, right, this is the sole reason that FCS football has not risen to the top or matched a lot of these lower conferences in the FBS, whether it's TV ratings, whether it's just eyes on the game, right, money bet on the game, or just relevance, relevance. Like, we could have put up better bracket than this right now. It's really aggravating. There's so much going on. But as far as seeding Holy Cross, right, the 11th best conference in the subdivision, man, it's tough. It's hard to swallow. But like I said, we will be laughing when it's all said and done. I know that for a fact, Kevin. Well, here are the first-round games amongst non-seeded teams. All these games, except for the last one, will be on ESPN Plus, and all these times are Eastern. Elon is at Furman, high noon kickoff. Davidson at Richmond, 2 p.m. kickoff. St. Francis is at Delaware, also a 2 p.m. kickoff. And rounding out our 2 p.m. kickoffs, Fordham at New Hampshire. Kicking off at 4 p.m. Eastern, North Dakota is at Weber State. Gardner-Webb is at Eastern Kentucky at 5 p.m. Idaho is at Southeastern Louisiana at 7 p.m., and Southeast Missouri is at Montana, a 10 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on ESPN2. Now, there are some intriguing games here. We're going to preview them all in just a minute. But when you look at these other teams that got in, we mentioned how is Weber State not a seed? I don't think anybody can explain <laughs> that to me to where I'll believe it. But there was some controversy between how Weber got the home game. Bill, Bill Chaves, the North Dakota athletic director swore he bid more, but Weber State got the home game. And they said it was based upon performance issues. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be who bids the most hosts. So there's some shenanigans there, maybe some evil shenanigans even. <laughs> but the Gardner-Webb story is a good story too. They played three FBS teams and they wound up in the playoffs by winning their conference. That's strong as death, y'all. And Idaho at Southeastern Louisiana would be a great game too. But I think that SEMO at Montana game is going to be huge. And Stone, you've been in a locker room way more recently than I have. Montana got destroyed last week. Is it harder to get over a whooping or a heartbreaker? It's a lot harder to get over a heartbreaker, Kev, because what you find yourself doing is replaying a lot of the plays that made the difference in the game. But when you get blown out by 30, 40 points, right, it's just one of those team meetings where your coaches, hey, we're going to watch this film one time, one time only, throw it in the garbage, we're moving on. And for Montana's sake, I mean, they're in the playoffs, so it's easy to move on. Like, you would be reliving those moments that college game day came to town and y'all got your ass kicked on national television. You would be, right? But you're not because you're in the playoffs, so it's easy to clean that slate. Whereas a heartbreaker, man, you're just sitting there talking to your teammates for weeks upon weeks about certain plays. If I would have ran the right route here, 
if I would have gotten the correct call and not blitzed and lost my gap assignment. Like, there's just so much more to go over and harp on in a heartbreaker than it is a butt whooping. I was asked earlier today who I thought playing this first weekend could make the most noise in the bracket. I think it's Weber State. Agree or disagree? I agree 100%. We've seen what this defense has been able to do, and they've stayed stout all season long. My question and your question at the beginning of the season was, can this offense score enough points with teams like Sacramento State, with teams like Richmond, who have really good quarterback play? And I think the answer that we've been shown is absolutely. So I love Weber State. I think this team is dangerous, and I know they love playing at home. So as far as getting that home game first against UND, I think they whip their tails, and I think this Weber State team is definitely a threat. And when you look down at that last game, Southeast Missouri at Montana, the winner gets rewarded with a trip to Fargo. Let's look ahead in the in our crystal ball a little bit. I believe both of those teams would present matchup problems to the Bison. For sure. So Montana's favored in this game against SEMO by seven points. So it's up to Packton DeLaurent, the quarterback for SEMO, to kind of air this thing out. Coach Tuke is no stranger of getting weird when it comes to schematics, right? Sneaking up on you, dialing up certain pressures. I think Montana's more built to stop the run. We've seen that throughout the season, at least more than SEMO. But most definitely, Kev, I'm a North Dakota State hater, and, and I don't necessarily like calling myself that because I know how much of a threat, right, winning nine of the last 11 national championships but man I mean North Dakota State has shown they're so susceptible to a lot of things that teams can do well if you can stop the run right and put the game on Cam Miller's shoulder they can definitely go down anybody who plays them in my opinion is a barking dog and I gotta tell you somebody also asked me what's your best bet for a close game that people aren't expecting in the first round I think you look at St. Francis at Delaware I think that's gonna be a surprisingly low and tight scoring game yeah, I'm going to fight that because I'm a Nolan Henderson guy, and these hens have a lot of experience. They are no strangers to the FCS playoffs. Kev, come on. It's time for us to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. And we're back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Now joined by one of the best play-by-play guys in this country, Mr. Bob Black, the play-by-play voice for the Richmond Spiders. Thanks for being here, Bob. Kevin, always good to catch up with you. I'm just glad I'm one of those play-by-play guys still doing FCS football play-by-play right now. Well, there's some guys who really wish they could be and they're going to sit at home, but not Richmond. You're going to be at home against a pretty darn good Davidson team. Yeah, I think the Spiders were very pleased to get a uh, first-round home game. Obviously, would have liked to have beaten William & Mary, I think there was some thought that whoever won that game was going to be in the top eight and was going to get a bye, and I think the Spiders very definitely would have liked that, as well as, obviously, a conference championship that comes along with it. So when that didn't happen, I think the next best course for Richmond was the home game, which they got um, against a more experienced playoff team, right? I mean, this is Davidson's third straight appearance in the postseason. Richmond hasn't been there since 2016. There's only a few Spiders who have ever experienced the FCS playoffs, and that would be Reese Udinsky, the Spiders quarterback, and Jacob Harris, the wide receiver who did it at VMI. And we have a redshirt freshman defensive tackle in Matei Fitz, who transferred from James Madison. He was at JMU last year, but he was redshirted, so he didn't play, but he was part of the experience. So Davidson will have the playoff experience edge in this game. And a pretty wonky offense, too, right? We've all seen the triple option from under center. This is from the shotgun. Four yards, five yards a play, 12, 13 play drives. They're really going to want to eat the clock and shorten the game. 
Yeah, that's a great description. I think I'm going to steal that from you later today and uh, call it a wonky offense. I know it's a broadcaster's nightmare. I imagine it is probably a defensive coordinator's nightmare as well. Although I will say that this bolsters the Richmond perspective a little bit. We do have a couple of veteran coaches who have experienced dealing with this triple option type of offense. Uh, Justin Wood, our defensive coordinator, and Russ Huseman, our head coach, have both been at Southern Conference schools. They have experienced uh, Wofford and the Citadel and back in the day VMI. So I think they've at least got a little bit of a handle on how to coach it, on how to teach it. Then it will eventually be up to the players to deal with it. We'll talk about Risha Densky in a minute. But I've been extremely impressed with the Richmond wide receivers. It seems like it's a different guy each week from that group. That may be as deep of a room as anybody's got in this country. So when Reese and Jacob Harris came in to Richmond, transferred, uh, Reese technically from Maryland, but really from VMI, and Jacob from VMI, I think there was a lot of thought that it was going to be a lot of Udinsky to Harris. And that certainly has happened. But Reese has a tremendous knack for spreading the wealth, as you alluded to. And that's exactly what's happened. Leroy Henley has really stepped up, has been so much better this year. He had a great summer camp. Coaches kept talking about that. But until you see it on Saturdays in the fall, you know, the jury is still out. Well, they were exactly right. He's had a tremendous year, very reliable. Uh, Josiah Williams, um, probably the best that we have at yards after catch. Once he catches the ball, he's not done by any stretch of the imagination. Now, he's been uh, hampered a little bit by a broken hand. He did play in the William & Mary game, was certainly not 100%. He should be better coming in this week. And then Nick DiGennaro is almost a forgotten guy in this group, but he's done great. Another transfer from Maryland, um, and he's another guy. that When he catches the ball, he's just getting started. So Reese has at least four, and there's some guys' names who – you guys probably haven't even heard of yet, and some that we haven't even heard of yet who they feel really good about in that wide receiver room. So you're absolutely right. Defense has been pretty strong. You held Delaware down, and it seems to be a bend-but-don't-break type of group. Yeah, I think that's true. I think in the Delaware game, it was probably even a little better than that. Now, they did go a couple touchdowns that turned out. You know, you're not going to keep Nolan Henderson at Delaware down all day long, but I think they did a great job there. And when they had to have stops on third and fourth down at the end of the game, they did find a way to get them. But for the most part, this group has been very gratifying to watch, Kevin. And the area particularly is that defensive line. We went into this season with that as a question mark with guys we lost to graduation and transfer portal and then suffered a key injury just before the season was about to begin. In fact, the week of the first game, uh, season-ending injury. So the, the defensive line was a question mark. And, man, they get high grades now. They've, they've been outstanding. I mean, um, you know, Jeremiah Grant at, at defensive end for the Spiders has been terrific. Ray Eldridge in the middle has been outstanding as well. Marlon Lewis at the other defensive end position. And then the best story of the bunch is Carson Stocklinski at defensive tackle was moved over in the summertime from offensive line because the Spiders were so, so thin on defensive line, and, and he's been great as well. The linebackers. Should be familiar names to people who follow FCS football, particularly Tristan Wheeler and Philip O'Connor. And our secondary is probably about as good as it's been uh, since Coach Usman has been here. So they feel really good about that defense. They will be tested today, obviously, with something they haven't seen all season long. Don't forget about that running game either. It's been there when it's 
much needed to be. Who stood out there for you? Yeah, well, the uh, two-headed monster is Aaron Dykes and Savon Smith. And, you know, they pretty much go hand-in-hand. Now, their styles are a little bit different. I think Savon gives us a little bit more of a burst of energy and burst of speed, and Dykes is more the downhill guy that's going to get you the tough yards when you need them. And then the third guy back there is Mylon Howard, who missed all of last year, really a year and a half, with a knee injury. And he's really a great complimentary back. When he comes in the game, they don't lose a whole lot. He's got some speed. He can catch the ball in the flat, make a couple guys miss. So I think they feel real good, certainly about Savon Smith and Aaron Dykes. But I think you throw Mylon Howard in there, and you've probably got three options at running back. FCS Nation, that's been Mr. Bob Black, the play-by-play voice for the Richmond Spiders. Thanks for being here, sir, and thanks for having me on your show. It's awful early for me to get up, but you know I don't mind doing it. No, we love it, and really looking forward to uh, being a part of these very exciting FCS playoffs beginning today. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for sticking with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Stone Labanowitz returns. It's always good when he comes back for segment three. And this is the preview segment where Stone and I preview the first round of the national playoffs. Some really good matchups, some games that you wonder and you scratch your head about why they're taking place since regionalism is supposed to matter and it's supposed to be a thing. But eight games to go, awful lot of games to get to in a short time to get there. Let's just get right to it. Up first, Elon is at Furman. Yeah, I like Furman here a lot. We're talking about a 9-2 and two squad who just exploded on offense at the crib. It's a really bad Wofford team, yes, but I like Tyler Huff. He stepped in for this Furman team, scored 63 points last week. He was 21 of 22 for 300 yards and a couple of tugs on top of that. They're playing really clean football, but there's one thing that this team does better than most, and that's play really good defense in the fourth quarter. That is a winning playoff recipe, so I'm rocking with Furman. I like these guys a lot. Look, Elon is going to be a tough opponent. This, these are old SoCon rivals, two private schools. Elon quarterback Matthew McKay, he can really spin it, Stone. We all know that. And it's, he's a really good redemption story. Been easy to root for this year. But Furman, that defensive line has been outstanding, and I think that will probably be the difference. I expect a close low-scoring defensive type of ball game here. Davidson is at Richmond. Yeah, when I go down Davidson's schedule, honestly, I'm I'm not tread lightly here at all, but it makes me want to throw up. You're looking at, like, St. Thomas. You're looking at Moorhead State, Drake Stetson. Some of these teams cannot compete at all with Richmond. Look at FPI, 92% chance to win. Reese Yadinsky is going to have a field day against these guys. They're going to be double-digit favorites, or at least they should be. But here comes Twitter, right? Back in Davidson, calling them really tough. When I said earlier in the show, Kev, that we were going to laugh to the bank and that we were going to laugh and have the last laugh, these are the type of games that I'm talking about. I want Richmond to flex their guns here. I think they do. Look, Davidson runs a pretty unique offense. It's the triple option, but it's out of the shotgun. So what they are going to want to do here is just like Bob Black and I discussed, 12 play drives. Even if you have to punt, you want to pick up a couple of first downs, shorten the game. They've been very successful at doing that. Richmond don't need to do that. They can score in one, two, three, four plays. I expect Richmond to have their way with Davidson. St. Francis is at Delaware. Same thing that I just said about Davidson, man. I could go down St. Francis' schedule. I just really don't want to. And I'm going to pull a card that isn't that strong of a card, but to me, and for this reason, it is. Let's go back to that Navy game where Delaware took down the midshipmen. I think the committee... And I think a lot of fans in general put a lot of stock into that game for right reason. And we don't put any stock into the Holy Cross win over Buffalo. But that's for, like, other reasons, another conversation for another day. 
I like what Delaware has going. I think they are experienced. This roster's been in the playoffs before. We saw what they can do in seasons past, especially that spring season. Nolan Henderson had a shaky end to the season, and I think he cleans it up. This team's been here, done that, and they dominate the St. Francis team. I know you said it was going to be close, but I disagree with you, Kev. I think it will be, and I'll tell you why. Because St. Francis is a team that can get up and down the field. Delaware, some big plays, but you kind of feel like in a game like this, they like to just be able to hand the ball off and whip St. Francis up front. So I think this will be a closer game than a lot of people think. St. Francis is not a bad football team. They've been here before. And the Red Flash are a team that if you don't play well against, you're going to find yourself in a four-quarter ball game. Fordham is at New Hampshire. I like these New Hampshire guys. You know that. I remember a few weeks back I said Max Brosmer was just as good of a quarterback as Reese Yadinsky, and you about had a heart attack. But I love watching this kid play ball. The offense runs through him. He's got 2,500 yards this season, 22 touchdowns to only five interceptions. This team looks like a team that's been waiting for the playoffs. They've played really good football down the stretch. Fordham's not that bad, and a lot of people coming to back them up on Twitter. But this is going to be another game where we're laughing, or at least I am, Kev. I don't know how you feel about it, but we'll be laughing to the bank again because I'm backing Max Brosmer and this New Hampshire squad. they got some really good wins on the schedule. They've played in a lot of tight games. They've been in overtime. This is another team waiting for the playoffs to come, and it's arrived. I like them. These are two teams that can really get the ball up and down the field, and I expect a high-scoring ball game in this one. Fordham leads the nation in pass offense. They don't lead the nation in defense. And New Hampshire, I think, has is going to have the same game plan as Delaware does. We're a CAA team. We should be better in the trenches than you are. We don't have to be sexy this week. Yep. We just need to win this week. So we're going to try to be stubborn in the running game, pound you, wear you out. And sometime late in the third, early in the fourth quarter, that's going to pay dividends. I expect UNH and Fordham to be close for a while. But UNH is going to wear them out in the fourth quarter, I believe. North Dakota is at Weber State. All right, I'm really excited to watch this one. I've had a chance to play UND in my career. I had a chance to call their game this season when they took on Southern Illinois and got curb stomped. UND's offense is nothing to write home about. Quarterback Tommy Schuster doesn't have a lot to his game. The offensive coordinator likes to pull out gadget plays. I think it's one of his strengths, so we're going to see that. Problem is... Weber State is full of veterans, right? They're a playoff team. They know what upset feels like. They felt heartbreak before. I think they crack the books a little bit, get to know UND more so than any other playoff team because this team snuck in here, and a lot of people call them dangerous. I went on last week and said, UND, North Dakota State, please stop calling it a rivalry game. This UND team has nothing on offense. They went out and laid an egg. I think Weber State puts their claws on these guys and holds them to under 20 points, and they get out of here with a really convincing victory. I mean, you said that you had played against North Dakota and that Weber State has felt some heartbreak. (laughs) Uh, Wasn't that heartbreak caused by a fellow named Stone Lebanowitz? You're damn right it was. Kind of thought I remembered your name from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes sometimes it slips my mind. <laughs> Gardner-Webb is at Eastern Kentucky. Hey, here's the Parker McKinney show loading. I don't think Gardner-Webb can really make these guys sweat. Similar to what I said about UNH, Eastern Kentucky has played in a lot of close games. They know what overtime feels like. They know what FBS caliber guys look like on the offensive and defensive front. I like them. I've been rocking with Parker McKinney. All season long, I'm going to eat the chalk here. I think the entire playoffs, is, especially these early rounds, I'm going to eat the chalk. EKU is going to be favored, as they should be. I'm taking them to roll. 
I don't want to buy any stock of Gardner-Webb or St. Francis. I'm just not doing it, Kev. You can't make me. Look, Trey Lamb's done a hell of a job at Gardner-Webb. That is a tough place to recruit to and a tough place to coach. And he was the youngest head coach in the country when they hired him. And he's got that team a championship and to the playoffs. Don't care who you are or what league you played in. That's impressive and not easy to do. But Eastern Kentucky, whole lot of weapons, man. Parker McKinney, you said it. These are, t these are guys that are tested against FBS competition, good FCS competition. I think you'd have to be uh, maybe have a little inside information to pick Gardner-Webb in this one. Eastern Kentucky, though, I think is a team that also can make some noise if they can get by the first round on down the line. Idaho was at southeastern Louisiana, but regionalism really matters. Yes, it most definitely does, sir. They will be flying 2,400 miles to take on this slew squad, just like the old Sunbelt days, am I right? Hey, I want to let you have the floor here to talk about Jason Eck and the snub that went down here. I know we're previewing these games, but God, uh, Cephas Johnson kind of got taken out of that starter role, and from then on, I've been confused trying to figure out what this offense wants to do. They put up points, but that's against bad opponents. They find themselves in a lot of low-scoring, slow, sloppy games. Don't really know what to expect here, but Idaho will be favored as they should. I like Eck and the boys here. SLU is just uh, kind of waiting for the season to end. you got to put them out of their misery. They snuck in here. I don't think any of their wins have been impressive except for the one over Incarnate Word. I like Idaho here. Well, to, not to put too fine of a point on it, but Jason Eck didn't win Big Sky Coach of the Year which I think is a travesty, and he's not even on the ballot for the Eddie Robinson Award, which is just an indictment of that entire thing. That's all that you can call that. Idaho was a dumpster fire, one of the worst jobs in the country, and he comes in and gets them to the playoffs in the toughest FCS conference, and he's not conference coach of the year, and you can't even vote for him on the Robinson ballot? Get out of here, man. But in this ballgame, southeastern Louisiana, look, we're used to seeing them light up scoreboard, 65, 70 points. And to their credit, they've played some defense this year, more than they have in the past. Idaho, though, same combination for victory. They've had a lot. Defense, run the ball, play action. I like Idaho in this one. It's a long trip, but I think it will probably be a good one for the Vandals. SEMO is at Montana. So the one unfortunate thing for SEMO is that Montana is coming off a butt-whooping to Montana State on college game day. We had spoken about that earlier. I feel like this for Montana is an easier loss to get over than a heartbreak is. I said that, and I think that's going to play out here. I think SEMO puts up a fight, but Montana, again, is a team that's been here. We definitely know that, and I think experience and just having a lot of seniors on the roster is going to overcome this SEMO team. When you look at SEMO's quarterback, Paxton DeLaurent, I mean, this kid was an NAI ball player, and now welcome to the FCS playoffs against the Montana team who's made deep run after deep run after deep run, hence the reason they're even in the playoffs because we thought Montana State kind of put the nail in that coffin. But here they are. Here's the boogeyman. They're going to beat up on SEMO, even though I think this game's probably closer in the first half than it is the second. Gino Hess is a baller. Gino Hess is a dog. <laughs> Please remember that I said that, everybody who's listening to this show, and we'll just reconvene this one next week. Gino Hess is a player. Gino Hess is a dog. Stone, let's now hear your thoughts on the futures for the FCS title. All right, Kevin, you asked for my thoughts, so I'm going to give my thoughts on the futures, a.k.a. the FCS title odds this year, 2022. 
There are a lot of good teams. There are some sleepers. I'm going to give you guys teams that I see value in, teams that I don't see value in if you're betting the FCS playoffs. But first, I want to take you guys down the list of the odds presented. This is courtesy of BetMGM, one of the sportsbook that does get the FCS lines out, that does take the most action on FCS football games. So let's get that list started. The odds on favorite to win this year's title, that would be South Dakota State at plus 225, along with Sacramento State, who share the same odds at plus 225. Montana State, plus 450. North Dakota State, State plus 550. Incarnate Word led by the Walter Payton Award winner. Yes, I said winner because if he doesn't win, I'll burn this whole place down. Incarnate Word at plus 1500. Lay 100 with the word, get paid out $1,500. Montana at plus 1700. Boy, that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? They get spanked by Montana State. What does the committee do? Oh, that's right. Sneak them in there. What did the sports book do? Oh, yeah, that's right. Make them the sixth shortest odds to stink and win the title. Big time respect shown to the Montana Grizz. Next up is Weber State at plus 1,700. Holy Cross, try not to laugh, plus 2,400. William & Mary, plus 2,400 as well. Sanford, plus 2,900. So guys, I wanted to go through some teams that I do see value in and some teams that I don't see value in. First off, let's start with the teams that I don't see value in. Number one being the North Dakota State Bison. I think their quarter is somewhat friendly. They do share it with Sanford, who is seated six. This team's going to get a lot of man coverage. Teams are going to stack the box when it comes into these later rounds. And Cam's going to be asked to do a lot of things that I don't think he's actually capable of doing. So North Dakota State team that I would stay away from for the most part. The second team that I don't necessarily see any value in, that's Incarnate Word. I know that's surprising to hear. I read their odds off at plus 1,500, but here's the reason for that decision. They're in the same exact quarter as Sacramento State. Incarnate Word hasn't really been able to play defense when it matters most. Yes, Lindsey Scott and the offense can score at will, but the matchup does come, which I think it will, against Sacramento State. This result will then be decided based off of who punts the ball, who gives the ball to the other team last, and I think that would be Incarnate Word. So I would steer clear of that plus 1,500, but hey, I'm still rooting them on. All right, now to two teams that I do see value in. I love these two teams. So we're looking at Samford at plus 2,900. Folks, you lay $100 with Samford, the dogs. They will pay you out $3,000. This price is really high considering they're sitting in a quarter with North Dakota State. If Sanford ends up playing North Dakota State, I can see that line sitting around a pick em. And if they do get by the Bison, all of a sudden, one of four teams left. So your odds go from plus 2,900 all the way down to about plus 250. That's just by beating the Bison. So there's my reason for Sanford. Also, Michael Hires, their quarterback, a Walter Payton Award finalist. The kid is lighting it up. He is one of the best quarterbacks in all of the FCS, so I trust him down the stretch more so than others. Last team that I see some value in. Montana State. So they're going to see Weber State in that second round. Of course, Montana State seated, so they're going to buy, and they'll be waiting for Weber State. Yes, that will be a really tough game to win if they do win that game. Well, they're getting out of that quarter, right? The only other threat left is William & Mary, which doesn't have enough offense to keep up with a Montana State team. So you're getting plus 450. So you're getting plus 450 odds-wise. That will as well go down to probably less than what Sanford's would when I said it was going to be plus 250. So if they can get by Weber State, 
in that first round matchup or their first round matchup, then those odds will go down and there you will be getting that value. So there are some teams that I do see value in and there are some teams that I don't see value in. Folks, it is the best time of the year. FCS Nation, stick with us during the break. We're going to keep pumping out the content that you guys need, that you guys deserve because boy, these playoffs are getting rolling and nobody's more excited than me and Kevin. So hang tight. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Very pleased to be joined by Mr. Brian Marceau. Brian is one of the great co-hosts of a really good Idaho Vandals podcast called Tubs at the Club. We're going to talk some Idaho Vandals football. Thanks for being here, Brian. Great to be here, Kevin. Tell me what this playoff berth means to the Idaho Vandals faithful and to the program. Man, this is a big, big developmental step for Idaho. I mean, we'll Jason Eck has honestly just been hitting home runs the entire year from week week one, honestly, from his first press conference on and, um, you know, making it, making it into the first round of the playoffs for Idaho is, I mean, to me, this is Idaho really announcing for the first time since dropping down in 2018, that uh, the team that a lot of big sky faithful thought they'd see when Idaho moved back to the big sky, they're here now. Jason Eck called Idaho sleeping giant in, in his uh, introductory press conference and making the playoffs. You know, having the chance to you know show that Idaho football is for real back at a national level, can't ask for a lot more. Look, when we were at Media Day, you and I were both quietly optimistic that this could be a pretty good football team. And I'm very pleased because you're my friend that I was right. But the defense is something that I think there were some players there, but they've really stepped up. You've got to give the coordinators he hired, both the offensive and the defensive coordinators, a lot of credit. Oh, defensively first, Rob Orich has been, uh, I mean, he's a fan favorite at this point. Idaho did pick up a couple impact transfers, guys like Paul Mawala at linebacker, Giuliano Falanico, edge rusher. Uh, but the core of the defense is the same same crew that was around in 2021, in particular in the secondary. And like the biggest surprise for Idaho fans is Idaho's secondary is actually the relative defensive strength, led the big sky in uh, in interceptions this season, only picked off two total passes all of last season. They're in double digits this year. That was a pretty radical turnaround with really just, you know, uh, Matthias Bertram, he's a transfer from New Mexico. Uh, and then uh, Mervyn Kenyon III, he's a junior college transfer. There's really just a couple new faces. Uh, but secondary has been a huge revelation for Idaho. Um, in addition to, look, front seven has been a relative strength for a while. The, you know, the line itself is a little bit less physically imposing this season for Idaho than the last couple seasons, just due to a couple of big guys graduating. Uh, the, one of the, the last Ellison was a big loss for Idaho on the line, but still Idaho's had a bit of a next man up uh, mentality linebacking crew. In addition to Mawala, you know, second team, all big sky, Fafai, Fafai. Uh, he's, he's an impact player too. So yeah, de- defensively is probably the biggest area of, of visceral surprise for Vandal fans this year. Well, just so people know, and I, they're not a paid sponsor, but, you know, it, they do do your show for you. So what is a tub and what is the club? Okay, so I'll, I'll answer uh, in reverse order. Um, the Corner Club is a famous famous bar in, in Moscow, Idaho, and it's pronounced Moscow, not Moscow. It's just for the uninitiated. Um, it's a – honestly, it's one of the landmarks in the city of Moscow run by a guy named Mark Trivaldese. Uh, it's a place that if you go to the corner club on a game day, you're going to see undergrads, but you're also going to see uh, multi-generational vandals head there. 
it's uh, in some ways like the off-campus epicenter of Idaho athletics culture. And a tub is a 32-ounce beer. Typically, typically for me, that's a Rainier if I'm ordering. And uh, that's the genesis of the name. Well, there's ordering no, a big beer at our favorite bar. Well, there's no accounting for taste, Rainier beer, right? But So on the offensive side of the ball, the young quarterback is not making a lot of freshman mistakes, is he? He really looks down the field. And even though he's mobile, you don't ask him to do a whole lot of that, but he showed he could do that in that UC Davis game, even though that one didn't go as well as you would have liked. Yeah, Giovanni McCoy won a real long quarterback battle that, honestly, the starter wasn't announced until the week uh, until week one against Washington State. Then on the season, redshirt freshman Giovanni McCoy, 25 touchdowns, five picks, 68% completion percentage. You know, Idaho – Pat, Idaho is a rush first team, they, and they use the run to set up the pass. They rush about 58% of the time, pass about 42%. But, I mean, the thing we've seen on McCoy is, one, like you said, he, he's not making mistakes, very few turnovers. And, two, his, his accuracy on intermediate uh, to long passes, in particular targeting Hayden Hatton and Jermaine Jackson, uh, has been something real, really needed for Idaho this year. It's that when McCoy is playing, it's actually pretty rare to see McCoy throw passes where the ball travels vertically fewer than 10 yards. And again, he's, he's hitting on 68% of those. And you mentioned Hayden Hatton. I don't believe there's a better player in all of FCS football. No. And look, Hayden Hatton, a thousand receiving yards, set a school record, 15 uh, touchdown receptions. And, you know, with the new coaching staff, it actually took about three or four weeks for Hatton to really get it going early. So, you know, if this is a, if, if Hatton had been producing, week one like he's been pretty much from week four on uh we're talking about maybe some overall yardage uh, record set at idaho and the, you know the 15 touchdowns man he just he just catches everything he's a converted tight end runs real tight routes and you first off you're just not going to see any drops out of hatton the second he makes he honestly makes one or two catches a game where like my reaction is always okay that's we got that because we have an all-american on the team FCS Nation, we're joined by Mr. Brian Marceau from the Idaho Vandals podcast, Tubs at the Club. Awful long trip down to southeastern Louisiana, and this is a team that, if I had to say from the big sky, reminded me of anybody, it would be Eastern Washington. They really want to throw the ball, but the defense is a little better this year. I believe this is a pretty good matchup for your Vandals. I think for sure it's going to be tough. Uh, the, the good news from the Idaho end is, the only SCS teams that were able to make Idaho look bad this year, uh, both UC Davis and Sacramento State, uh, Sacramento State for, for stretches, that game ended up being a two-touchdown affair, or sorry, a uh, three-point affair. Um, teams that can really uh, kind of dominate with their offensive line, that, are, that can physically impose their will and really pound it on the ground, uh, which isn't to say SLU can't, can't be effective on the ground, but I, I wouldn't call them something like Sacramento State. So that's, that's a beneficial uh, matchup in that regard for, for Idaho. Uh, but for sure, uh, SLU can put up points. They beat Incarnate Word this year. That's a pretty impressive win, one of the most impressive wins, honestly, for mo- almost any team in the playoff bracket. Brian, are the fans coming back to the Kibbe Dome? I know there was kind of a split when you dropped down, but winning cures a lot of things. Has it kind of cured that sort of split in the fan base? Unequivocally, it's moving in the right direction. It's going to take more than a year to get the Kibbe Dome back to, you know, let's say averaging 80% capacity or something like that. But, you know, early in the year, opening weekend to Drake, Idaho had about 6,000 fans there, which was a little bit above the 2021 average. Uh, But as the season progressed and Idaho kept winning, 
Uh, you had you know, homecoming. There was around 11,000 people there. Um, after homecoming, we had another game right around 12,000. Uh, it's definitely moved in the right direction on the season. Average attendance went up around 3,500 fans per game. Uh, that's just a, another couple ways where this coaching staff and this team, they're, they're doing everything they could, and the fans are more and more fans are starting to reward the team by showing up. FCS Nation, that's been Mr. Brian Marceau from the Idaho Vandals podcast, Tubs at the Club. Thanks for being here, Brian. Thanks for hanging with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. It's now time for the pick segment, and let's make some money, y'all. Stone and I are going to go head-to-head and pick the first-round games. Up first, Elon is at Furman. I think this is the tightest of all the matchups, and I still like Furman. I said it. They're going to play some really good defense down the stretch. Furman on top, 21-17. This is a high noon kickoff from Paladin Stadium in Greenville, South Carolina. Old SoCon teams hooking up for a playoff game, and I'm here for it, y'all. Both teams are going to be stubborn in the running game. And I like Furman's offensive and defensive line better than the Phoenix. Take the Paladins at home over Elon, 28-24. Davidson is at Richmond. Boat race them, Reese. Boat race them, please. Richmond on top, 38-17. to Like we discussed earlier, Davidson can run the football with that shotgun-based triple option offensive attack. I believe the Wildcats will try to shorten this ball game. And, you know, pun isn't always a bad thing. If you can get a couple of first downs before you have to do it, they're going to try to eat the clock. That's good in theory, y'all, but I just don't think they have the horses to do it, and I don't think they'll have any answer for the Spiders quarterback, Risha Densky, and that group of wide receivers. Boat race is right. Spiders at home, 42-13. St. Francis is at Delaware. If you're going to try to get me to bet against Nolan Henderson, I will not do that. I like the hens here, 31-20 to on top of St. Francis. Red Flash quarterback Cole Doyle can really spin it. And we know that defense for Delaware has some spots in that secondary where you can kind of trick them a little bit. Now they've given up some big plays, especially in some key moments. Think back to that Richmond game. I think the red flash will be able to put up some points. We'll be able to put up some yards. And this one will be a surprisingly close game. And it will come down into the fourth quarter. All of that being said, give me Delaware at home over St. Francis, 27-20. Fordham is at New Hampshire. Sticking with New Hampshire here, I like QB1, Max Brosmer. I think they win this game. I think it's tight until the fourth quarter, right? The Fordham backers, the Fordham fans, they'll be happy until Max breaks their heart. I got UNH coming out on top, 35-27. to 27. I think this will be a good one, too. Did somebody say shootout? Well, if they haven't, I'm saying it right now. Shootout. Both of these teams can get up and down the field and put up a lot of points. And this one screams to me, Stone, bet the over. I think UNH makes a couple of more plays on defense than Fordham does, and that'll be the difference. Take New Hampshire to win at home, 42-31. North Dakota is at Weber State. Give me the cats, man. I got Weber State winning this game 35-17. to No sweat. Fighting Hawks QB Tommy Schuster will be key here. UND cannot turn it over on the road. Outside against a good Weber State team, that's a recipe to get run out of the building. The Wildcats' defense is full of a bunch of ball hawks, and one of the things they're extremely good at is suckering QBs into making mistakes. This one will be a battle, but I think Weber State defense will make all the difference. Take Weber State at home over North Dakota, 27-21. Gardner-Webb is at Eastern Kentucky. 
Eastern Kentucky. We talked about the Parker McKinney showing that he might have. I think it comes out here. I think this guy is another one that we've been talking about that's waiting for the playoffs. He's waiting to play his best ball. He kind of had a lull in the middle of this season, but, man, he's streaking. These guys are in stride right now. I don't think Gardner-Webb has the tools at the skill positions to make these guys work hard enough. I like EKU 30-21. to 21. The Webb's a great story. Big South champs. The Lamb family adds another trophy to their case, which is pretty substantial if you know who those folks are. The Colonels have been up and down this entire 2022 campaign, and they're up right now, and I think they'll go as far in these playoffs as that right arm of Parker McKinney can carry them. I believe he'll carry them to the next round. Take Eastern Kentucky at home over Gardner-Webb, 35-21. Idaho is at southeastern Louisiana. Now, Idaho can't be complacent here, right? A big win in a rivalry game over a really sorry Idaho State team. And the week before that, they got stomped by UC Davis. So that is two really good game films to pay attention to if they want to win this game. I think they do. I got them coming out on top of this one, 28-17, and is what a weird game in my opinion. It's a long, long trip for the Vandals. There's no doubt about that. But you know what the longer trip was? Coming back and building that program by Jason Eck from what he inherited. Did the best job in the country, and I don't think it's close. I've been a believer in the Vandals for a lot longer than most people have, and the difference is Giovanni McCoy. He was held out last week as a precaution, but he'll be back. Vandals secondary has been tested before, and I believe they'll pass this test as well. Take Idaho on the road, 31-27. Southeast Missouri State is at Montana. This one is really hard to cap, really hard to pick. Montana is a seven-point favorite. And I think that's fair for the most part. But I trust Coach Took to put together a really good game plan from SEMO. I've seen some of his game plans personally. He knows how to mix up pressures. He knows how to take shots down the field on early downs, whether it's first and 10, whether it's second and two. He's just really good at keeping an opposing sideline on their heels, not having a clue what's coming next. So this game's going to get interesting. And I think it's interesting all the way up until probably five, six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then these Montana seniors are going to put their foot on Simo's throats. Stop Gino Hess from having his way, which I think he will early in this game. But I'm taking Montana here, 28-21. to 21. Not me, sir, and I have to live here. Woo! So I, I made that mistake last week. The Grizz, they got absolutely destroyed last week in the Brawl of the Wild. Defense gave up 439 yards on the ground. And now that dude, Gino Hess, and the Red Hawks stroll into Missoula. That is not a good combination. Hess ran for over 300 yards last week. I don't believe he'll need to get there this week, but he'll be solid. Take Simo on the road over the Grizz in Missoula at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Red Hawks 28, Grizz 27. That brings us to the end of another episode of FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. FCS Nation is produced and co-hosted by Mr. Stone Labanowitz, the marketing director for FCS Nation is Miss Stacy Marshall. On behalf of all those good people, I'm executive producer and host Kevin Marshall, thanking you for making FCS Nation a small part of your football week. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, want to say thank you, Stone and I do, for you letting us into your home, into your car radio, and into your life each week this football season. And like I always do, y'all, I'd like to remind you that life's a lot like football. You play by the rules and the penalties won't kill you. Until next week, so long, everybody. In the Division I Football Championship Subdivision, 
The name of the game is outsmart, outhustle, outscore. But in the FCS, it's not always about the outcome. It's also about how you play the game. It's played with passion and pride and sportsmanship. It's played with honor and integrity. And it's played in towns across America where football is a way of life. The Division I Football Championship Subdivision. It's more than a game.